So, last Sunday night, Stephen Paddock took enough ammunition for a small war and mowed down people indiscriminately with the evil intent of taking their lives. This is not only a national tragedy, but something that will scar our nation for probably the rest of its history. In the same way that 9-11 scarred our nation, and you can't go to an airport without being reminded. It's tough to think of ever going to a concert again, especially outdoor concert, just to enjoy yourself. It was a terrible tragedy. No one knew where he was shooting from. They had no idea. Was he on the ground? If you look at the police reports, they, was he on the ground? Was he in the air somewhere? Was he in the hotel? Was he, which hotel was he in? Nobody knew where he was shooting from. It's been a week, and they still don't know the motive why he would do such a tragedy. He seems like a normal guy. And then this crazy thing breaks out. It's hard to describe when suffering like this happens on a cataclysmic scale. How does one respond? Someone here might have a family member or a loved one who was personally affected by this. Over 60 people died, and about 527 were wounded. Mass chaos, mass destruction. Now, this has happened on a national level, and it's a tragedy. And unfortunately, it happens kind of regularly now, doesn't it? It's like something that just, it doesn't even shock us that much anymore. It's just this terrible thing. The kind of tragedy that took place that Sunday is unspeakable. And we need to pray for them. But today I'm going to talk about the tragedies that you experience in your own life. The tragedies that you experience on a personal level. The ones that come at you, listen to me, from nowhere and leave destruction in their wake. There's a couple of principles that you need to know about tragedy and suffering. First of all, tragedy and suffering never RSVP. In other words, if you're going to experience tragedy and suffering, there will not be a warning signal. If you experience tragedy and suffering, it will be something that happens that you're not expecting, least expecting, in fact. Also, when tragedy happens and suffering happens, another thing that you can is 
you might not have all of your questions answered. Why is this happening? Why is this going on in life? Why did this happen to me? You might not have these questions answered. And when tragedy happens, you might not know where they're coming from. You might find yourself completely befuddled as to where this came from. Is this something that I caused? Is this something that Satan is throwing my way? Is God trying to teach me something? You won't have any idea where it's coming from. Today, we're going to talk about how to endure tragedy and suffering. I want you to know that we started this series weeks ago. And while I didn't know that on the Sunday we were going to talk about tragedy and suffering seven days before, God knew that these tragedies would happen. And he serves them as a reminder that he is sovereign and in complete control. And so today we're going to look at the piece of armor that has to deal with how does one stand during suffering when everything comes down in a way that you weren't expecting. What do we do when everything falls out? When the doctor says it's cancer. When the spouse says I'm leaving. When the child is caught up in addiction and there's absolutely nothing you can do. What do you do? When shots are being fired from all angles, you have no idea where they're coming from and only death is happening all around you. What do you do? The Bible is going to teach us how to respond after tragedy strikes. Now, this is really important for you. The person sitting in your seat really needs to hear this message because no matter where your life is, no matter how good things are going, I promise you, tragedy will strike. Maybe not on the level of the kind of national tragedy that happened, but I'm telling you, when tragedy strikes personal, it's like the pain is the only pain that there is. It's going to happen, no matter how secure you think you are, no matter how happy you are, no matter how great your relationship is going, no matter how good your health is, no matter what, tragedy will strike. So the question then is, how will you respond when tragedy strikes? You need to listen, because this is going to affect us all. And it's going to affect the people that you love. And it's going to affect your marriage. And responding. So tragedy, since it happens to everyone, the question isn't, will tragedy happen? The question is, how do you respond when tragedy comes? So today, we're going to look at a single verse. Now, you're going to be sitting for a few minutes. So I want you, if you can... If you're able, if your body's physically able, I want you to stand. We're going to read God's word, and we're going to read it three times. It's such a small verse. We're going to read it three times because I want this verse to get into our hearts. Because God knows that tragedy is going to strike, he knows that suffering is going to come to your life. Because God realizes this, he wants you to know that he's going to give you everything that you need to face tragedy. Now, believe me. That doesn't mean that tears won't be shed. That doesn't mean that pain won't be felt. 
But God is going to give you every resource to deal with your pain because he loves you. And if he created you and he knows that this world is a broken world, he's, he's going to want to give you the help that you need when everything goes wrong. Let's read this together. We're going to be reading from Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. Now, before we read it, let me just say, for those of you who are new, we've been in a series called The War. And what we've been talking about for these last three or four weeks is we've been talking about that there is a war on our soul, that there is an attacker, one who is unseen, one who will not identify himself, and one who is nothing, has nothing more than our destruction in his mind. His name is Satan. And he's out for you. Listen to me. If you're here and you don't believe in Satan and you were like, you know what? You sounded reasonable. I can't believe you just uh, evoked the name of Satan. Really, you believe in a red-dressed, long-tailed, pitchforked man. I said, well, no, that's not quite what I believe. But I do believe in a personal Satan who is personally out to get you, especially if you belong to Jesus. And if you don't believe that, then I want you to do me a favor. I want you to go to the news, and I want you to listen for what they're trying to uh, explain with this guy, Paddock. With, I want you to tr try to listen. They go, we don't know why. Why would anyone do this? You explain a, a, a millionaire going up on the 32nd floor and shooting shots at a crowd of people. You explain that without a Satan. You go, oh no, it was the way he was written. Nope, brother came online and said, no, he was, he was a healthy guy, normal guy, had no religious or political affiliations. There was nothing that we can see. I'm his brother, and I had no idea that this was brewing. You explain that. I'm telling you, shots are being fired from an unseen place, and if you don't, if you don't get the protection that you need, you will be just another victim. Ephesians chapter 6, verse 16. Let's read this together in a nice loud voice. One, two, three. In addition to all this, take the, the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. One more time. Let's just read it. We'll just do it twice. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. This is God's word. Please have a seat. <clears throat> so God had been talking about the kind, of, the kind of armor that you need when you walk throughout life. And basically what God is saying is, I'm going to give you every resource, everything that you need to endure tragedy when tragedy strikes. And by the way, tragedy doesn't send a letter. Tragedy doesn't RSVP. Tragedy will strike when you least know it. He says, I'm going to give you everything that you need so that you can endure the day of fiery trials, the day of darkness. And so he says this, I'm going to give you everything that you need, and all that you need is this. Listen to me. I'm giving you Jesus. Basically, when God says put on the armor, what he's saying is, I want you to put on Jesus. 
I want you to put Jesus on. I want you to walk in and with Christ. And so he says, hey man, don't forget, don't forget the belt of truth. We talked about that, how we need the truth, the truth of God's word to, to, to fight against, to discredit Satan's lies. We need the uh, breastplate of righteousness, because I'm telling you, when you're, when you're living in sin, a guilty conscience is tough to overcome, especially when Satan's attacks are coming at you. He goes on to say, not only in addition to all this, so yeah, yeah, keep the belt of truth on. Don't take the belt of truth off. Keep the breastplate of righteousness. But in addition to all this, it's in addition to all the things that I told you from verse 10 to 15. Do this. Take up. Somebody say take up. Take up. Take up. Pick up. Get. Carry. Do, listen. Take up. The shield of faith. Pick up the shield of faith. Get this thing called the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all flaming arrows of the evil one. So Paul, as we know, and we talked about a little bit earlier, Paul is, is doing several things. Number one, he's, as he's talking about the armor of God, he's reaching back into the past, deep, digging deep into Isaiah in the 50s. Isaiah talks about God's armor. And so Paul is using a lot of the same language that Isaiah used way back then, hundreds of years before Paul was born. He's using that language to remind us this is not a new idea. This is something that has come from the Bible and that it's been uh, over and over. And so God has an armor and he's giving us himself. He's giving us his armor. And so we, we know that Paul is reflecting back to Isaiah, but we also know that Paul is looking within his own circumstances and looking at tied to, most likely to. Um, he's in jail, and he's tied to a Roman soldier. And so he's looking at these Roman soldiers, and he, sa soldiers and he says this. He goes, take up, pick up, take up, shield. Now, here's the thing. When you and I think, when I think of a shield, I think of Captain America's shield. Anybody else think of Captain America's shield? Like that sort of circle that you can have there, which is, by the way, not a bad idea for a gift for your pastor. I just think that's so cool. I'm kidding. Don't ever get me that. Don't ever get me that. If you do, that'll be horrible, okay? Don't ever get me that. Not even as a joke. Okay, so, no, I'm just saying, it's super cool, right? Yeah, and you see Captain America blocking, it's just super cool. This is not the shield we're talking about. The shield that we're talking about was more like, if you could think of a five-foot wooden door. Like, think of a five-foot wooden door. It was about this wide, about five-foot high, and it covered the soldier completely. From, from his toes to his head, it covered the, the soldier. Now, here's the thing about the shield. The soldier never walked around normally with the shield. This is important to know. Because I think there's a couple of things that God wants us to know. Right? So listen up. This is, this is big. There was an armor bearer for that. Anybody ever heard of the term armor bearer? The armor bearer was a person who carried some of the, if you think of like a roadie for musicians, you, an armor bearer for warriors, kind of like the same thing. They're in charge of the equipment. They put out the, you know, they start the campfires. They're, they're, they're that guy, right? And, but they're very close to the warrior, right? Their, their life literally is tied to his. He dies, they can't come back home. 
Like, you know, so their lives are very tied to the warrior. And so he generally would cover. Now, what they would do is the soldier would ask for the shield when he was in the hottest point of battle. When they were close to taking down a wall, he would pick up, somebody say pick up, pick up the shield at the hottest point of battle and would attack the walls or and the reason that they would do that, now it was very ingenious the way they did this, is that there was, uh, like the shield were like, connect, not connected like locked in, but connected like touching together. And so, any of you ever saw a movie called um, 300? You have a concept of what the shield concept looked like. So they covered themselves from the top, and then they covered themselves straight away. Make sense? So it's almost like a, a portable... Uh, armory, right? And so, huh? Yeah, 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 exactly. Like, yeah, it's a, thank you very much. Uh, I'll use you for next week's sermon as well. So yeah, think of these panels behind me, but about a five foot tall. They're locking in together. They're covering them from the top because th- what would happen is, is in the hottest places, that's where they needed the greatest cover. Now, this is important because your faith is needed on an everyday basis, every moment of every day, Your faith is needed. You don't need to pick it up. It's with you. It walks with you who Jesus is, what he's done for you, how your guilt and shame has been taken away. This is what you need. But, 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 there are moments of great tragedy when the fire is hottest. Now, if you are living a life of sort of, you know, I don't care, and I'm just going to do what I'm going to do, then you would never think to pick up the shield of faith. Because, quite frankly, Satan doesn't have to worry about you. He's not shooting at the people on the bleachers. He's shooting at the warriors coming his way. So this is an important point for those of us who are trying to do something great for God. If you move, listen, if you're trying to overcome an addiction, somebody say overcome an addiction. If you're trying to um, blaze a new trail for a ministry, somebody says new trail for a ministry. If you're trying to do something that's never been done before or that you've never done before, or maybe it's not blazing a new trail or doing anything, maybe you're just trying to, um, you're trying to overcome a habit, like I said. Or if you're trying to do that, Satan is coming after you. And what he does is he, I mean, it gets bad. It gets bad. And what Paul says is that you have to, in those times when the suffering is greatest, when the pain is the worst, when the times are most difficult, in those times, he goes, pick up! You've left it behind! I would tell you about 80% of my, uh, my counseling is an effort to do this. Pick up! Pick up your shield. Where have you put your faith? Go find it. You lost it somewhere. Pick it up. Pick up your shield of faith. Because without that, you get decimated. Now, here's what happens. What will happen is, is that you decide, let's say, for instance, you're new, and you're doing something new. And let's say you're starting to come to a church service like this, and you say, you know what? I'm committing I'm going to that church service. I am I'm intent on learning about who God is and how I can serve him. 
He's my king. He's my Lord. He's my all in all. You make that commitment. I'm going to serve Jesus. And you start coming here. I'm telling you. I mean, pick up your faith. Because all sorts of things start happening. Years ago, I remember the one of the most, one of the most um, tragic and sad. So um, I, we, I had a friend, and he was one of the guys who helped to really start this church. He was with us when we were just a Bible study. And when we were praying um, on decalb, just a small group of people. His name was Rick. Really beautiful guy, super handsome. And Rick had a lovely wife and a beautiful daughter, and his life got rocked by Jesus. His life got rocked by Jesus. Like he was just like, okay. And he was an executive at Sony, super bright, super intelligent, super charismatic. Just like if you met him, you'd love him. Like he's one of those guys. Like he just liked the guy. He comes in, and he comes to Christ, and he's dedicated. And he goes, wait. And, and here's what happened. He goes, I, Jesus gave up his whole life for me. And then he goes, you know what? I want to I show my appreciation to God and how much I love him. And I love what this church is doing. At the time, and we still do, we had a men's home. I mean, we were literally providing food, shelter, uh, electricity. I mean, it, and he said, I want to help financially support that. And so he literally took 10% of everything that he made. He took it and donated it to the church. And he said, if I make $10, I'm going to give a dollar. If I make $100, I'm going to give 10 If I make $1,000, I'm going to give $100. Now, in, in the church as poor as ours, I never thank God for having a Sony executive come to our church than I did at that point. You understand what I'm saying, right? I was like, yes! Can you please send more doctors, lawyers, because we could use some money. Okay, so what happened was, is he started to do that. His wife was incensed. Here's what happened. She said, if you're going to follow Jesus, you can't be with me. You could be with me and not follow Jesus. Or you could follow Jesus and not be with me. But I'm taking our daughter. If you're going to pursue this, you're going crazy. And I remember he would call me up, and we would cry, and we would pray. I'm talking, like those aren't the, you know how like when you pray kind of sheepishly, no, 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 no. Oh, God, open her eyes. Give her a tender heart. And then she served him with divorce papers. Oh, God, help our brother. Open her heart. Then they went to court. Tens of thousands of dollars in legal fees. Oh, God, do a miracle. And then she got divorced. And then they got divorced. And then she left the state so he couldn't see his daughter. One after another, after another. Here's what he did. What he did consistently was he ran. He, what, what did he do? He picked up his faith. And he said, let me tell you something. I have a broken marriage now, 
But Jesus, who is the church's bridegroom, Jesus promises to never divorce, never leave, and never forsake. You see, because in moments like that, you don't need, what am I doing? What's going wrong? Oh my gosh, everything's going bad. I need to, see, if you stay in your head, if you only battle with the lies that Satan will give you, then you will fall. Your faith will crumble. And I don't even have to tell you that. Some of you are coming back from having not been in church for decades. And the reason was, it's because your faith crumbled. And maybe your faith crumbled at, in, a, in, a, in a classroom with a professor who had a lot, of PA, a lot of letters behind his name. Or maybe your faith crumbled at the sight of a suffering child. Or maybe your faith crumbled when you lost your job. I don't know what your situation is, but your faith crumbled because you never... Because when the fiery trial came, you didn't pick up your faith. Beloved, he says, on top of all this, do something. Pick up your faith. Be reminded of the gospel. And then secondly, he says this, which, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Why flaming arrows? This is important. Because again, we're talking about where the battle is hottest. Where the battle is hottest. Now, here's what you need to know. Um, uh, when they had war back then, and by the way, this is like uh, this word for um, uh, the flaming arrows. It's like flaming, like, like missiles. It's like, but they didn't have missiles then, but that's the word that you would use for missiles. And so um, he says, with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows. So people would um, put their arrows on fire and do a, a thing so that the, the arrow would stay fire. Remember what I said about the door? It was a wooden door. So the door would be able to block the arrow, but then you know what would happen. The door would catch fire. And if the door would catch fire, what would the warrior do? Anybody know? Of course they would. Anybody knows what the next arrow is going to do? It's going to kill them. That's why he says these fiery arrows come and they threaten to make you drop your faith. They make you, these terrible tragedies come into your life and they threaten you so that you drop your faith. They're not just meant to do harm or to distract or to make you scared. They, make, they want to make you drop your faith. And so what would happen if this guy dropped his faith? What would happen to the guy uh, behind him? who was holding up his shield above his head to protect them from any, like, you know, molten uh, whatever that they were going to throw down or anything like that. Anybody know? It would make him vulnerable, wouldn't it? And anybody know what happened to that guy? He would fall down. What would that do? Make the other guys vulnerable, wouldn't it? Do you see how Satan is not just after your faith? He's after the faith of the church. He's not just after you. He's after the person to your right and to your left. Husbands! Listen to me. This is not about whatever suffering you're going to, going through. This is about standing in faith for your children and for your wife and for your nieces and nephews. Wives, listen to me. This is not just about what you're emotionally going through. 
This is about those who are around you. Listen to me. We're getting shot at all the time. Leaders in this church right now, sitting in this room, are getting shot at all the time. And unfortunately, there are others who are getting shot at that aren't here. You know what they did? They're dropping their shield, guys. These fiery arrows come not only to destroy you. The tragedies in life not only come to destroy you, but they come to destroy the people of faith, the community of faith around you. So, here's what I need you to know about fiery trials and about suffering. I have two principles for you about fiery trials and one principle about faith. First principle about the fiery trials that you should know, this is the first one, is that fiery trials are allowed. They're allowed. They happen. God allows fiery trials. You go, why does God allow fiery trials? Let me just caution you. This is really important that we pick up our faith. Remember how the Bible says at the very outset how broken this world is? Like, you can't, you turn, you turn a page and the Bible tells you how broken this world is. You don't get past the second page without the Bible telling you how broken this world is. God wants you to know that this world is devastated and broken and full of death. If you're looking for heaven, wait for heaven. Earth is not heaven. Earth is earth. Earth's not hell either. Earth is earth. And it's not heaven. And so death happens, and, and lies are told, and betrayals are had, and terrible pains are experienced, and horrible, horrible ideas like shooting people from an elevated position sounds good to people because this is a broken world. Now listen to me. They're allowed, but you got it. But there are two, I want you to know that there are purposes to our suffering. Satan has a purpose for your suffering, and God has a purpose for your suffering. Now, this is important because those two purposes are different. Whenever um, a fiery trial comes in, Satan, his purpose is to destroy you, destroy your family, destroy your church. That's what Satan's purpose is. Destroy you, destroy your family, destroy your church. That's Satan's purpose. God's purpose is to make you into the likeness of Jesus Christ. He wants to make you look like Jesus. And so um, you'll see this in, um, in like uh, combat sports where um, a, a, a manager will allow his boxer to face a kind of boxer. If he's a, you know, if he's a classic boxer, he'll face a brawler. And the reason he wants to put him in that adversity is because he, he wants to make his boxer better. Now, the other side of the ring, that manager wants his brawler to beat the guy. But on this side, he wants his boxer to become stronger, better, and more capable for the future fights ahead. Listen to me. So it is with you and I. 
You ever notice that the same sun that hardens um, clay melts wax? Did you ever notice that? That like if there's clay, you put it out in the sun, it gets hardened. But if there's wax, it melts. You ever notice that? Yeah, yeah, listen to me, listen to me. Satan wants your heart to get hardened. He wants you to be discouraged. And then he'll discourage other people around you. I've seen this happen over and over again. A leader will get discouraged. They'll drop their shield and they'll discourage everyone around them. Beloved, don't fall for it. God allows it for a purpose of making you look like Jesus. Satan wants to destroy you. And God allows, here's, here's how he makes you look like Jesus. There's three illustrations that, God, uh, that the Bible uses for suffering. Three illustrations that the uh, Bible uses. One is a vine dresser. And you know what a vine dresser does, right? A vine dresser takes, um, I just recently had a, um, like a grapevine start growing into my um, yard, which is super cool if it was your yard, but I really didn't want this thing growing into my yard, right? Because I wasn't about to cultivate it and then it grow all over the place, right? And so um, what a vine dresser does is that he cuts back the vine. And the reason that he cuts back the vine is so that the vine could become more productive. So it could produce more and better fruit. So if you and I are being pruned by a vine dresser, if you and I are being pruned by a gardener, and it's hurting and it's painful, one of the reasons is because God wants to make you more fruitful and better fruitful. Okay, the second illustration is that God is a refiner. He's a refiner, and you're in the fire. Your suffering is refining you. And so, have you ever seen like a, a blacksmith? you know, put something in the fire and it's like hot and then you put the metal on the fire and like, um, you know, he bangs it out and, and you know, strains it and all that other stuff. Have you ever seen, um, if you ever had like a piece of metal that was bent and a blacksmith was going to make that metal straight again, the worst thing he could do was to just get a machine and make it straight again. Because you know what he's done by forcing it like that? He's made it weaker. It's not strong. All you need to do is just get like one of your glasses, the metal, and bend it one way. Then just go ahead and try to bend it back and see what happens. It snaps, right? Because that's what happens with metal. The fibers get weakened when you don't. But you know what you do? You take that same metal and you put it in the fire. Then it's pliable. Then it'll bend with great ease. And now it's stronger for having been in the fire. Oh, I'm talking to somebody here. Listen to me. Listen to me. When you find yourself in the fire, in your marriage, at work, with your kids, with your identity, in every aspect of life, when you find yourself in the fire, it may be that God is making you stronger. He's making you stronger. There, the third is one of a father. And this one is lost on us because when we're, you know, a lot of us, I mean, a lot of us had great dads and they were wonderful. They had flaws. They were wonderful. And some of us had absentee dads. Some of us had abusive dads. And so it's difficult to think about this. But 
God is a father who loves his kids. And I have five kids. There's only so far that you could get with positive reinforcement. There's only so far you can get. I got five of them, right? From 25 to four. I've been doing this for a minute. All of them. And, and you know, you, of course you do this. You go like this. You go, oh my gosh. So it's like positive reinforcement, right? Like they go to the bathroom. Oh my gosh, that was so wonderful. Or, or maybe, you know, they, they pick up their clothes. You, you know, you give them a high five. You go, you know what? That's a way to, way to go, way to be a helper. You know, that's, such, that's so great. And it's like a high five and it's wonderful, right? But and then there are times when it's like, oh no. I told you this. Once I told you this a hundred times. And I don't know how your culture interprets that, but it's not pleasant. And it goes everywhere from I'm taking away TV to I'm taking off my belt, right? And everything in between, right? Now, nothing abusive. I'm just saying that a father corrects his children. So if you're in the fire, maybe there needs to be some correction, if your relationship is going bad, maybe God is telling you something. Okay. So two principles of fiery trials when you're suffering. One is that God allows them. But, and I need you to know this, God has a leash on Satan. In Job, the Bible tells us that God told Satan that he can go this far but no further. He can go this far but no further. So, again, putting on your shield of faith lets you know that God is still in control even when we feel like we're not. Second um, principle of fiery trials is that they're, they're to be expected. Fiery trials are allowed and they're to be expected. Don't be shocked. If you're, listen to me, if you're in Christ, if you belong to Jesus, if he died for your sin and rose from the dead, here's what you need to know. Don't be shocked when fiery trials come your way. Like, don't let that surprise you. That is the normal position of the Christian life. Under trial. It would be crazy, to use our boxing illustration, it would be crazy if you had a boxer and he went out there and then he came back to the corner and he goes, I don't know, but it looks like he's trying to hurt me. (laughs) Right, if he did that, you would think that was weird. If you follow Christ... Don't be shocked. Not only are they allowed, that's the normal. Your life and my life should be. Last week and this week, um, a lot of you know this about me, right? I struggle with depression. I've told you this before. I struggle with depression. It's something that's never leaves me. No, when you become a Christian, you don't get everything healed. I struggle with depression, and it's something that I've battled with for a long time. I wish it would go away. Um, It doesn't go away for two weeks. And I, I wanted to so bad, especially last week, I wanted to so bad go to a place that I knew I could find comfort but is not of God. Anybody have a place like that? Just one or two of you, I know, I know, okay. So I'm just talking to the one or two of you, okay. I wanted to go to the place where I find comfort but not Jesus. And I, and I, did, I did what... I put up my shield, and I said, I absolutely, and let me tell you something, I had nothing, I had nothing, I was discouraged, my sin was looking like a good idea, you ever get to that point, where your sin looks like the best idea, 
So what did I do? I called a dear friend. And I called and I said, hey, man. And it was a friend that I really want to respect me. He has a position. I really want this guy to respect me. I want him to look. I want him to esteem me. And I said, okay, so here's my deal. I want to go to my flavor. He was like, well, then, let's talk. And the first thing that he did was he prayed so powerfully for me. I could feel the comfort of Christ while he was praying for me. And it wasn't a surprise that Satan had attacked me. And I wasn't going, what's happening? What did I do wrong? No, 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 no. This is the normal aspect of the Christian life. They're not only allowed, they're to be expected. But you got to pick up your faith. Now when you, like me, and you can't think of anything, and all the scriptures have vanished, and all you can do is look at your sin, we have each other. But it's picking up your faith, knowing that God is going to be there with you. And then now, so we have two principles of fiery trials. The first one is that they're allowed. The second one is that what? They're expected. And then one principle of faith. And here's the principle of faith. Faith is active. Beloved, faith is active. We don't just talk about faith. We're about faith. And what is faith? Faith is trusting Jesus' truths rather than Satan's lies. That's what it means. So, the doctor says, you're going to die in six months. Well, let me tell you something. Whether I'm going to die in six months or 60 years, I'm going to die. Nobody gets off this planet alive. Let me run to Jesus and encourage my heart in the gospel because the gospel reminds me that though I, uh, though I die, yet I will rise. Like Christ, there will be life in me yet, even if my life on this earth is gone. When your spouse says, that's it, I can't take it, I'm leaving you, and you go, no, let's go, let's work on this, let's go to the Lord, let's ask Jesus, but they're like, no, I found someone else, I don't want you anymore, and they leave, you can go, there is one who's a spouse who would never leave and never forsake, there's one who will promise to be with me till the end of time. When, when your brain tells you that you have a sexual orientation or that you have a gender that is different than the one that God has given you, you can go, God. And I know this is touchy stuff because I know there's a bunch of us and you know my testimony. You know I struggled with this for decades. God, you made me and you could give me joy and I'm not going to look for I'm not going to look for a God-forbidden solution to a, to a bent that I think I have. What are you doing? You're picking up your shield of faith, beloved. Would you pick up your shield of faith? Would you say, God, remind me of your truth? Would you help the truth that you already know? Would you dig it down deep? Christ is with you and for you and will dig the truth of his word deep into your soul so that you might be able to respond to the tragedies and the suffering of life. I encourage you, after all of this, pick up your shield, which is faith, so that when Satan's fiery darts come at you, you will have the power 
to extinguish them. Let's pray. God, I don't know what the people here, the people who are watching this on the internet, who are listening to this in their car or office or home, I don't know what they're going through. And I know that when we're suffering, Lord, it just feels like cold comfort to say, pick up the shield of faith, but it's a tool that you've given us. You've given it to us so that we might be free so that we might be able to stand against the attack of the evil one. Lord, help us not to drop our faith. Help us not to drop our faith during suffering, during difficulty, during heartache and hardship. Help us rather to run to you. And Lord, we know that in our own strength, we cannot do what I just said. So would you remind us that the reason that we can pick up our shield of faith is because Jesus picked up his cross? Would you remind us, Lord, that we can carry our shield of faith because Jesus carried his cross, died for us? That while our faith is given to us by Jesus. Jesus, let his life be taken by evil people so that he could reside in us and give us new life, paying for our sins and drawing us to himself. Remind us of this, O oh God, that our faith is sure, not because it's a, tale, a tall tale or a, a tale told by people in power, but rather because you loved us enough to send your son to die on the cross for our sins. We're grateful. We're thankful for the incredible sacrifice that you've made in sending your son to die on the cross for our sins. And we pray, O oh God, that we would not walk away from our faith, but by Christ stand by your grace. For we do pray in Jesus' name, amen and amen.